All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and head to the book of Jonah. That's right after Obadiah and right before Micah, because I know that's going to help you a whole bunch. (laughs) Or if you're like me, you can just look up in the concordance and save yourself some time. Uh, But if you listen, if you've been around a while, you know one of the things that we love to do, one of our patterns at New Life, is we like to go through books of the Bible. We don't do that all the time, but we do it oftentimes. Last year, we went through two books of the Bible. We went through the book of Acts, the book of Philemon. And we're going to start off this year in the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament book. It's a minor prophet. And so we'll just encourage you over the next five weeks or so as we go through this message series to be reading the book of Jonah. It's not a, it's not a long book. You can sit down and, and probably read it in 10 minutes or less. And so we just encourage you to kind of bathe yourself in Jonah over the course of the next month or so. Allow God to really speak to you through his word in the book of Jonah. Now, for most of us, when we think of Jonah or the book of Jonah, we kind of think of a cute uh, little Bible story for kids, you know, or we think of a cute uh, little kid's song or something like that. And for some of us, if we were honest this morning, we look at stories like the one that we're going to read in just a moment, and we think, well, that must just be uh, a myth. Or, or perhaps maybe it was written as a parable or as a poem to illustrate a certain spiritual truth. And uh, So let, let me just put all my cards on the table uh, before we get into this series. Uh, it's important for me that you know that I believe that our God is a big huge, miracle-performing, mind-blowingly powerful, awesomely sovereign God. And so all of my cards on the table, that is how I read and how I interpret Scripture, okay? Because look, if I can accept that God created everything that is, if I can accept that God breathed everything in this universe into existence and that He came into our world, that He was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he was executed to pay for my sins, and that he rose from the dead three days later, if I can believe that, if you believe that, then nothing else in this book is hard to believe. You hear what I'm saying? Walking on water, turning water into wine, raising dead people, fish swallowing people, like none of that holds a candle to what I just said I believe. And what most of you would confess that you believe about God and about Jesus. So maybe you say, well, well, Chris, you know, scientifically we know that fish can't swallow a human being and let them live for more than 20 minutes because of the acidity and the pH level. And okay, fine. Okay, I I get it. All right. I, I understand that. But understand this, the definition of a miracle. Listen, this is the definition of a miracle. A miracle is an event that defies natural law and can only be explained by supernatural intervention. That's the definition of a miracle. It's an interruption into natural law. So all my cards on the table, I believe God is a super huge and powerful God and he does intervene into our world and into our lives. And if he can create everything that is, and if he can raise himself from the dead, he can do whatever he wants. You guys tracking with me? That, so that, that's where I'm coming from this morning before we jump into Jonah. Uh, so if you think I'm crazy to believe that, that's, that's fine. But I think that you have a really weak, puny view of God. And frankly, I find that God nowhere in the pages of Scripture. Also, Jesus in the Gospels taught Jonah as history, not as a parable or a myth. So I'm just going to roll with Christ on this one, if that's okay with you guys, all right? I'm going to stick with Jesus on this one. In light of that, let's uh, dig in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now notice, the book starts not as a parable. It starts as a genealogy, as history. Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now we learn more about Jonah in the books of First and Second Kings. Jonah was a prophet, not just any prophet. He was one of the primary prophets in Israel, perhaps the primary prophet in his day and time. Jonah was kind of a big deal in his society. If he would have walked down the streets, people knew who he was. Uh, people respected him. Jonah was a bold prophet. He would go and prophesy before wicked kings and put his neck on the line. He wasn't some cowardly wallflower to be sure. In 1 Kings 17, there's a story of a widow, and the widow's son uh, dies. And a prophet comes, and he raises her dead son back to, to life. Now, there's a Hebrew legend that says that that young boy that was raised back to life was actually Jonah. Now, I don't know if that was or wasn't Jonah. I don't think there's enough evidence for us to really know one way or the other. But the idea here is that Jonah was called by God from a very young age, and he was a strong, godly man throughout his life and ministry. And God comes to Jonah, and he says, Jonah, look, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to go and tell them that their evil has come before my sight, and I want you to tell them to turn away from their wickedness and turn to me. Now, here's what you need to know about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the wicked Assyrian Empire. It was a massive, sprawling city. It was 60 miles in circumference, which in those days was absolutely huge. In fact, later in the book, Jonah tells us that it takes him three days just to walk across the entire city of Nineveh. It had walls around the city that were 100 feet high. These walls were so wide that three chariots pulled by horses could ride side by side around the top of this wall around the city. And there were hundreds of guard outposts that would rise even 50 or 100 more feet above the 100-foot walls. It was a massive place. I mean, this city would have been uh, like a modern marvel of that day. And its people, the people of Nineveh, Nineveh were known for their brutality. They were uh, ruthless warriors. They would conquer nations and cities. They would literally skin people alive. They would take them out into the desert and they would bury them in the sand up into their neck and they would allow them to die of thirst and heat exposure. They would take defeated soldiers that they had conquered and they would literally impale them in poles and stick them up into the ground and the guys were up 50 feet in the air, alive, just to scare the mess out of anybody else. They would do unspeakable things, things I won't even mention, to the women and children that they would conquer. So when you think of everything that is evil in humanity, if you could wrap all of that evil up into just like one people group, it would be the people of Nineveh. And that is who God is calling Jonah to go to. So it's important for you to understand that before we go deeper into this text. Verse three, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah hears God's call clearly. Like it, it wasn't, it was like not mistakable. So it wasn't like Jonah was like, ah, 
I don't really understand if this is what God is really telling me to do, so I'm just going to go on vacation to Tarshish. No, he clearly understood what God was telling him to do, and Jonah's response is like, nope, I'm out of here, right? I'm gone. I am not sticking around for this at all. Now, listen, before we throw Jonah under the bus and we're just like, man, I cannot believe Jonah disobeyed God. I just cannot believe that he wouldn't go tell the cute little Ninevites about Jesus. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Would you? Would you? So Jonah does what I think most of us would do. Jonah buys a one-way ticket in the opposite direction. He literally gets on a boat headed to Tarshish. And I think we have a map. I want to show you. That's Nineveh. <laughs> That's Nineveh, where God is telling Jonah to go. He gets on a boat in Joppa, and he heads literally almost 3,000 miles in the opposite direction to Tarshish. 3,000 miles in those days might have been like 30,000 miles in our day. That was the end of the known world. So Jonah wasn't running like a little bit. He was going as far as humanly possible. So here, here's the first truth that I want, you, I want you to see in all this. Believer, God will call you to do hard things. God will call you to do hard things. Just like Jonah, there will come a time in your life when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do. Maybe to forgive that person who wounded you deeply all those years ago or maybe even decades ago. Maybe to finally lay down that idol in your life that you're just so desperately clinging to. Maybe he's going to call you just to get off the bench of life and get into the game of God's mission in some tangible way. Whatever it is, God will call you to do hard things in your life. And that leads us right into our next truth, and that is this. Running away will always seem easier. Running away will always seem easier. In that moment, getting on that boat to Tarshish will look and sound really, really good. And there will always be a boat ready to take you away from what God is calling you to. Always. I cannot tell you the number of people that I've talked to over the years who took the easy option. Like, you, you know, you're talking to some guy and you're like, man, brother, what, why are you leaving your wife and your kids? Well, Chris, man, I wasn't happy and there's this new lady at work and she gets me, she makes me happy and... I know God wants me to be happy, and onto the boat to Tarshish they go. Running away from God, taking the easy way out. And church, I want you to hear me say this. The easy way in life is rarely the right way in life. The easy way is rarely the right way. If you're struggling in your marriage this morning, I can almost guarantee you that Satan will put somebody in your path and they will seem like an easier option than dealing with what you need to deal with at home. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with an eating disorder or a porn addiction, there will always be a ship right around the corner willing to take you away from God's will in your life. And it will seem like an easier path in the moment, but it is a path that will lead you to pain and destruction. It always seems easier to get on that ship to Tarshish. But as Jonah is about to find out, you can't outrun God. And so Jonah runs. He finds a seemingly easier path than what God is calling to him to, and so he runs. Uh, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest. So it's like the idea is this, just this vicious, ferocious storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners or the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Okay, so God, God sends a storm, and it's not just any storm. It's a violent storm. It's a vicious storm, so much so that these seasoned sailors start to panic. So just like picture the scene in your mind's eye here. Each one of these tough, seasoned sailors, they start crying out to their own gods, right? So from that, we can tell these are pagan guys. They're like, man, who's, who's your God? Okay, pray to him. Who's your God? Okay, you pray to him. Who's your God? Okay, you pray to him. We got to find one of these gods that's got some power that can save our lives. Of course, it doesn't work because they're praying to all these false gods that don't exist. And so they start grabbing the cargo, right? They, they just grab their, their food reserves, right? They, they grab their, their bean and bacon cans and they just, they're throwing them off. Anything that they can find so that the ship doesn't sink with them on board. These guys are in full on panic mode because this storm is absolutely terrifying. They've never seen anything like that. So from that, I want to press into another truth here, and that is, believer, God will send storms into your life to get your attention. God will send storms into your life at different seasons in your life to get your attention. That doesn't mean that every storm in your life is from God, but that does mean that when a storm slams into my life and begins to tear me apart, the first question that I ought to ask is, is God trying to get my attention? <laughs> Am I running from something? Do I have unconfessed rebellion and sin in my life? Is he trying to show me mercy by bringing me to the brink of destruction before I destroy myself? And I've had that happen before in my life where God has brought a storm into my life and I knew, I knew it was his loving discipline in my life. So God will bring storms, believer, into our lives to get our attention. Now, where was Jonah while all this chaos was going on? <laughs> Jonah's taking a nap. Jonah's taking a nap in the, in the belly of the ship. Yeah, I, I, the first time I read that, I thought, man, how, how is that even possible with all this going on? But then I started to, to think about it. When someone is in a deep state of depression, right, when you're in a really dark place, what's the one thing that you want to do? A lot of times, if you're depressed, you just want to hang out in bed, you want to sleep, you want to try to escape your reality with sleep. And I think that's where Jonah was. I think he was depressed. I think he was running from God. I think he was miserable. He was in a really dark place in his life, and he was trying to escape his reality with sleep. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So the sailors look around at each other and they're like, hey, hey, where's that Jonah cat at? Where's, where's that little Jewish dude? Where, where did he go? So the captain starts looking around the ship for Jonah. He goes down into the belly of the ship and he finds Jonah asleep. He says, Jonah, wake up, man. What are you doing? We're about to die up there. Call out to your God and maybe he'll have mercy on us so that we don't die. Now the amazing thing about this is it appears to me from the text that Jonah still refuses to call out to God. I mean, they're about to die in this storm and Jonah seemingly could not care less. 
It's amazing. So here's what happens next. These, uh, these sailors cast lots to find out whose fault it is that they're about to die in the storm. Now, typically, historically, in those days, the way that this would work is they would have a bag or a, or a box of rocks, and they would paint all the rocks one color. Like, let's say they would paint them all white, except for one. They would paint that one a different color, so let's say red. So you've got a box of rocks. They're all white except for one, and it's red. What they would do is they would take their bag or their box of rocks, and they would kind of gather in a circle, and they would cast lots. They would throw them all on the deck. And wherever that red, lock, red rock landed was the guilty party. So they do this, they, they're all around there, and they cast the lots, and here comes the red rock, and it bounces right up in Jonah's lap, right? And so they're looking at Jonah. Maybe they even do it a couple of times to make sure. And every time, that red rock just rolls right over, thumps Jonah on the shoe. And so Jonah's got to be thinking at this point, man, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't good, man. This isn't working out for me so well. So God, listen, God is clearly orchestrating this, and then the sailors begin to interrogate Jonah. All right, so they pull out the heat lamp, they shine the light on his face. Where were you on the night of November 29th between the hours of 7 and 9 p.m.? Maybe they threaten him with a little waterboarding or something. They're like, listen, Jonah, who are you? Where are you from? Who is your God? Now listen, listen to Jonah's answer. I love this. In verse 9, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous or violent. So Jonah finally fesses up to who he is. He finally fesses up to who his God is. And the sailors go, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't, this isn't good. Jonah, what have you done? What have you done? And, and Jonah, what, what can we do to make this stop? Please talk to your God and make this stop so we don't die. And I want to pause here just for a second because I want you to see one more important truth here, and that is this. Your disobedience hurts other people. My disobedience hurts people that I love. Now understand, these sailors had nothing to do at all with Jonah's rebellion, but they were caught up in it nonetheless, weren't they? Parents, listen to me. Your kids are watching you. Grandparents, your grandkids are watching your life. And how you live your life and how you respond to God's call in your life will affect them. There will be a ripple effect for generations to come in your family. Your neighbors, your friends, they are observing your life, I promise you. And your life right now is either pointing people to Jesus or it is pushing them away from Jesus. There's really no middle ground. You see, we don't live our lives in a vacuum. Our lives affect more people than we know. And our temptation, my temptation, your temptation probably in the moment is to think, ah, man, this isn't going to hurt anybody. This is innocent enough. Probably nobody will even know about it. But sin is never innocent. And it will always take you deeper than you want to go. It will make you pay a higher price than you ever dreamed that you would have to pay. Always, every time. I was studying the life of uh, King David this, this week. And uh, fascinating, this man who had a heart after God 
And yet he kept this one little part of his life away from God. He just refused to give this one little part over to God and it haunted him for the rest of his life and it affected generations of people for hundreds if not thousands of years later. Thousands of people were affected by this. And I'm sure David in the moment, he thought, man, this is no big deal. I'm the king. So just a little secret between me and one other person. I'm just gonna do this and move on with my life. And yet he ravaged generations People were killed because of this. People were raped because of this. There were revenge murders that happened, all tied to to David's sin that he likely perceived in the moment as innocent enough. Our disobedience hurts the people that we love. Finally, Jonah says, look, it's me. It's my fault that we're all about to die. And so go ahead, throw throw me in. This is my fault. Go ahead and throw me into the sea. This is the only way to calm the storm. It's the only way for you guys to live. Now the sailors, to their credit, they began to row even harder. They're trying to get to dry land. They're still trying to save Jonah's life. So these rough sailors apparently have a bit of a sensitive side. Uh, Honestly, if I were there, I'd be like, hey, man, I'm grabbing his ankles. You guys grab his wrist. On the count of three, we're, I'm not dying for you, Jonah. Let's throw that bad boy in. So but they try. They try to save his life. They're trying to row to land. Of course, it doesn't work. Rowing against God never works, does it? Never works. Perhaps you're trying to row against God right now in your life. How's that working out for you? How's that going for you? Well, the sailors, finally, in complete and total desperation, they start praying to Jonah's God. They start crying out to Jonah's God, and they're like, God, don't kill us because of your man, Jonah. Spare us. Save our lives. And so they, they toss Jonah into the sea, and as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm dies instantaneously. So waves, right, the size of this building collapse, and it's like this glass sea. So you can kind of picture the sun coming out, like the sky becomes blue. There's birds singing. You imagine Jonah just kind of like floating in the, in the water, this calm sea, looking around. And Jonah's probably thinking in this moment, man, things worked out. I avoided God's discipline, and I still don't even have to go to Nineveh. <laughs> yeah, this worked out well. Calm sea, you boys, pull me back up in the boat now. Now we'll see next week how well it goes for him. I suspect that this isn't over for Jonah quite yet. Look what happens in verse 16. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, talking about these sailors, these pagan sailors, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. So these pagan mariners, and I just imagine that these guys have to be a a, a rough and tough lot, right? Probably a lot of big, tough-looking guys with big, tough-looking tattoos, bodybuilder-looking guys, not unlike some of you, right? So they, they see God's power, And it says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifices to Jonah's God. And they made vows. These boys straight up get saved on the ship. Right? They're like, man, if Jonah's God is that powerful, I'm following him. Right? If if storms will obey him, I want to be on his team. So they believe. They begin to worship right there on the ship. And they make vows to follow this God. And I want us to see one last truth here before we dock the ship. God is a relentless idol smasher. 
He is relentless in his pursuit of the idols you hide in your heart. He will do whatever it takes to capture the hearts of his sons and his daughters. And church, listen to me. That is his mercy to us, not his wrath. He knows that we only thrive and flourish in our lives when he has our hearts. Listen, the most unloving thing that God could do is to let us get on that boat heading to Tarshish and never send a storm to turn us back to him. That is the most unloving thing that he could do is just to let us go. So if you're here this morning and your money, your, your idol is money or whatever it is, there's a good chance that God is going to come after it. Some of you perhaps, man, you feel like you just, you can't get ahead financially. No matter how much you do, no matter how many jobs you take, how much you make, you just feel like you can't ever get ahead financially. Maybe that's because you refuse to trust God with your money. It's an idol to you. You just refuse to live a generous, sacrificial life the way God commands for his children to do. And so if money's an idol to you, God is going to rip it out of your hands sooner or later, not because he hates you, but because he loves you. If your idol is the pursuit of sexual gratification, that's you this morning. Have you ever wondered why nothing really satisfies your appetite? You pursue and pursue and you chase and you chase and you try everything under the sun and you're emptier than you've ever been. Listen, God loves you enough to smash your idols. He does. You see, Jonah hid this idol of hatred in his heart and God was ripping it out. Not because he hated Jonah, but because he loved Jonah deeply. And he loves you deeply. So don't run from God in the storm, friend. Don't run from him. Run to him. Embrace him. Kill your idols. Allow him to kill your idols before they kill you. As we close this morning, I want to invite you just for a moment to bow your heads with me. We're going to prepare our hearts for a time of prayer, and then we'll finish up with a song in just a minute. You know, this morning, my confession would be that in so many ways, I am Jonah. I'm Jonah. And I think if a lot of you were honest this morning, you would have to make the same confession about your lives. That right now, you're Jonah. And so let me just ask you a question. What are you running from today? What are you running from? What are you telling God no about right now in your life? See, for Jonah, it was an idol of hatred against the people that God loved and wanted to save. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't want to see God save them. He wanted to see them die and go straight to hell. He hated them. So underneath Jonah's cloak of godliness, this prophet that everybody thought had everything right in his life, Jonah was hiding this idol of hatred and bigotry towards an entire people group in a race. So friend, let me just ask you this morning, what idols are lurking in your heart right now? What idols are lurking in your heart right now? 
What idols do you need to just lay before God this morning and finally and once and for all just give over to him forever? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never even given your life to Jesus. You've never pledged your allegiance to him. Maybe today is the day that you lay down all of your idols at his feet. And you find the freedom that your heart is seeking and the freedom that God has designed for your life. So if that's you this morning and you would just say, yeah, 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 I'm tired of pursuing all these idols in my life. I want to cast all of them before the feet of Jesus and I want to follow him. I want to be on the team of this powerful God that controls the storms and the seas. If that's you, let me just encourage you to come and talk to me right after this service is over. If you don't have time, just check it on your connection card. Drop it off at the Next Steps booth. I will contact you this week. We'll have coffee. We'll have lunch. We'll do whatever we need to do. But please don't leave here. Don't leave this building until you have that settled. There's nothing more important in your life than having that one question settled. Do you know God through his son, Jesus? So whatever the idol is in your life this morning, will you stop running from God today? And will you start running to him? Let me pray for us this morning. God, God, our hearts, my heart, my heart is like Jonah's heart. My heart is an idol factory, God. I just produce these idols in my life, even though I know better and I think that something is gonna make me happy and I begin to pursue it. And I come up empty again and again, God, would you forgive me of that? Would you forgive us collectively of that? God, we confess, our confession, our corporate confession this morning is that our hope, our satisfaction, our purpose, our happiness can be found in you and in you alone. God, like Jonah, we're so good at hiding our our idols. I know I am. But Father, you love us enough to just strip us of the things that will kill us. So Father, when the storms come into our lives, would you just help us to run to you instead of from you? Help us to lay down our idols of self-sufficiency, God, of, of pride, of money, or performance, relationships, whatever else, God, that our hearts are tempted to drift towards. Would you help us to lay them at your feet and walk away from them this morning? God, would you help us to do that right now? Would you help us to do that this week by the power of your spirit that lives inside of us? And we ask it all in the strong and the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, will you stand with me?